0: Hello and welcome back to It's Time for Recess, a podcast about making time in our daily lives to have deeper, genuine conversations with the people around us. Welcome to the 10th episode of It's Time for Recess. This is a very special episode because I wanna have an opportunity not only to connect with my friends in this podcast, but also my mentors and teachers. And one of them is Bob Elton. In my conversation with him in this podcast, we got a chance to go deeper into how he applied his values into his leadership, not only in his role as BC Hydro CEO, but also in how he runs the com 483 3 leadership class at Slaughter. I also want to just give a little shout out to everyone who has supported me in getting to this 10th episode, and I hope to launch many more episodes in the coming months and years. Without further ado, let's begin. It's time for recess. I'm joined by a very special guest today. He was my professor uh, for Comp 4 a 3 the Leadership and General Management course at SODR. and then the next year, I came back and did a teaching assistant role uh, for him in that course. It is Professor Bob Elton. I'll let you introduce yourself because I think you know best. Hi, yeah, Nick.
1: good to see you again. I was good to see <laughs> you
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: In terms of my experience, I've had a variety of things. I was with PricewaterhouseCoopers for a long time. I was a partner there. I, I had various executive roles, CFO of some companies, CEO of BC Hydro. I've been a teacher in different ways, including the 483 that you mentioned at, at soda I also coached soccer for 25 years.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I just had a variety of things. In terms of my life generally, it's been, I'd say, pretty stable from the outside anyway. I mean, you know, grew up in England, and then we moved to uh, North America in our late 20s, and my, You know, my wife and I, our first date was about 50 years ago, so not real. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but from my point of view, my life, I describe it as uh, stable and one where I kind of enjoy every day versus peaks and valleys.
0: That's good. I guess the first question I have, which I ask everyone at the start is, what is one of your favorite moments from your childhood that you remember?
1: Yeah. I mean, so this is not really one moment. It's a series of moments. We used to go camping as a family a lot. And and we, this was in places like Wales and Scotland and and Ireland sometimes. And what I remember the most is that it seemed to rain a lot. And when it rained, this tent wasn't that big. And we were sitting hunched over this table playing cards as a family, my brother and I, and my mom and dad. I actually enjoyed that. And when I look back on our holidays, yeah, we had a good time swimming and doing other things. But, at that time, just sitting in the in the tent, playing cards and talking, um, mm-hmm. being a great time.
0: You talked a little bit about your leadership journey. You know, going from Price Waterhouse Coopers to uh, various leadership roles. And one question I had was, what were some of the key reasons that you come to believe had you considered for those senior leadership roles? Right, whether it's BC Hydro CEO or Van City CFO.
1: Sure. I, I think it's a, it's always a combination of two things. It's whatever you've done, so track record. And by the way, part of that is your ability to articulate that which is actually quite important. And then it's the way you come across. So in terms of track record, I think I just, I probably did good, I think I did good work in, in most of the places that I've been, not all of them, but in almost all of them. And so I could always point to things that I'd done that were good. But how you come across things, particularly with leadership roles, Frankly, unfairly, a lot of it comes to the way you have conversations, you know, the way you ask questions, the way you talk. And I think I came across as probably smart and as good at conversations. I ask good questions, I think, and I listen. Yeah. So I think wherever I was at with the track record in an interview process or the equivalent, I think I would always do quite well. So I think that's actually the two reasons why I think I got various leadership roles.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think articulating is such a good point because we might have a lot of experience, but if we don't, you know, express that to the people who are interviewing us, it's hard to yeah. convince them that we are the right or the best suited for the role, right?
1: That's right. And actually an example of that. So I was applying for the CEO job at BC Hydro and yeah. that's about five thousand people there. <laughs> Not had an equivalent leadership role. And I've had a lot of leadership roles in smaller scale. And I remember one of the things I talked about in my application was, look, I've coached soccer for 25 years. So I really understand 11 people. I really understand how a group of 11 people can do great things. Right, right. I deal with different issues. If you think about it, it's a CEO role, got a management team, executive team of about nine, ten 10 people. Um, it's surprisingly similar. It's not, now, it's not all of it. I mean, you still need more than that, than that. Say, I coach I soccer really well. <laughs> yeah and it was my choice right instead of saying look i don't think i've got any leadership experience with with large organizations i focused on hey i think i'm really great with 11 people
0: right right that's an interesting connection actually like bringing your personal life into your professional life in that way on your team
1: because one of the interviews i remember one of the board members because i because i got interviewed by you know all the board in different like groups of one or two or three right and i remember one of them saying look uh CEO, you don't get to play. You get to coach. You only get to coach. So, do you think you're suited for that? Of course, that's great. That was a great uh, lead-in question for me. (laughs) Sure, I can do that.
0: Yeah. Nice, nice. And then, when you were CEO uh, for BC Hydro, of course, there are many big moments that you probably faced. But what were some of the major moments or events during your time that changed your perspective on, you know, life or leadership, or changed the way you lead?
1: Yeah, and maybe sometimes it's not that it changes it, it's that it reminds you of what you've lost, right, or what you've forgotten along the way, because often there aren't really new things necessarily. You could have known that before. So one of them, I remember, I was, you know, we were having some form of executive retreat, and we started talking about feedback, and there was a person that I worked with who I'd never really had feedback conversations with. I remember asking her, do you want to give me feedback about the way I'm leading? And she said, well, I don't think you're focusing on values as much as you did when you first came in as CEO. uh, Because you've moved on, like you started with values and then you moved on to vision and then you moved on to objectives. But, But other people haven't moved on, they're still focusing on values. And it was a really great example of how I thought I was making sense but I was thinking more about my rate of progress and what I was thinking. Right. What was going on in the heads and hearts of people in the company. So it was great advice in two ways. First, it reminded me of the need to just keep on the values theme all the time. But also a reminder of the value of seeking feedback. And, and again, it, when you, the more senior role you get, the more you're in danger of not asking for feedback. Mm-hmm. Get more confident, probably about what it is you're doing, and people aren't telling you about the mess you're making <laughs> they're typically telling you you're doing fine because most of them report to you right so that was one one example another was was a sad one it was a fatality uh, an employee that was killed working the learning there was again maybe an obvious one you you know you think you know what your priorities are but actually the safety of, of your workforce is the is always the most important one yeah I, I knew that of course but going to our funeral and then going to memorial service, and, you know, and seeing uh, seeing this man's family that had a very powerful impression, and so that changed my priorities quite a bit. And in other roles that I've been in since, I've focused more on safety than I probably ever would. It's interesting, because with COVID, you, like, you know immediately it's obvious that it, yeah. they're the people. Uh, sometimes with, with safety, generally, it's less obvious, because you've got your safety statistics. In this case, we thought we were doing well. We, we had improving safety statistics, this came out of a clear sky. Then when I looked into it, I realized, that no, there's reasons why this happened. And we have safety culture issues. So those are the two biggest ones, I think.
0: Yeah, I think I remember you talking about, for example, the safety thing is like valuing the statistics of safety, right? Maybe you have a good track record or a very low percentage of fatalities or, or serious injuries. But then you have to look at the Serious but low yeah. probability events, right? Yeah, but those are also important.
1: That's right. And those are always, those are things you can't pick up with statistics often. Yeah. I said again, I mean, not to belabor COVID, but when people think about risks, you know, the risk of a pandemic has been with us for a long time. Right. It's just that it didn't happen. So everybody forgot about it. The climate crisis, people, people haven't forgotten about it, but it's been with us for so long that again, people. I wouldn't say they forget about it, but they 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 don't spend as much time as it on it as they do on this quarter's earnings.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Whereas, arguably, as a CEO or as a leader, you actually should be spending more time on those things because the organization should be doing a good job. That's how I see it.
0: Right, that's true. What are your thoughts on the idea that you know a lot of people might have? Well, you have to be an extroverted leader or an extroverted person to become a good, successful leader because you have to be outspoken, you have to you know, display confidence or, or whatever, you know, stereotypically matches extroversion. What are your thoughts on that first?
1: Oh, it's a great question. And, and I think, I mean, so first of all, introvert, extrovert, I think has something to do with the way that we gain energy, right? So I am an introverted, meaning that I get a lot of energy from just going home and reading a book. I, I, don't, need, I don't need to see people. In fact, if, I, if I'm feeling low or down, it's talking better if I don't. It's often better if I just read a book. Right. I think a lot of people assume that introverts are quiet, and we probably often are. But for example, to be a leader, one of the things you may have to do is appear in public and talk to people. It may not be a large part of what you do, but it may be quite important. So from my point of view, I actually enjoy that a great deal. I enjoy being with a crowd of people and talking. It makes me nervous. Very nervous. Like I can, I can feel it now. How I feel in facing a group of people, crowd of people. <laughs> but I, I seem to do well at it because I think of myself as talking to you know a few people, five people. 10, going back to that eleven people thing, right? I think of myself as talking to a small group of people, and I don't think of myself as talking to you know 500 people. So you may be an introvert or an extrovert depending on the size of organization or the role you've got. You will need to be able to know have to project yourself a bit to a large group of people, and part of that, frankly, is remembering they don't know you, so they're going to judge you based entirely on what you say and how you come across. And so you put a bit of thought into that. One thing you mentioned, I think, there is confidence. You have to project optimism. I think as a leader, mm, yeah. But I do, and I do not mean everything's great. I mean this is the situation we're in. It may be a good or a bad situation, but this is exactly how I see it. And this is what we're going to do. Or, we're not sure what to do. We, I'd like us to work together to figure it out. The more there's a crisis, the more you have to be clear about, well, this is what we're going to do next. Again, remember, you don't have to be confident about yourself. You have to be confident in them. You have to believe this group of people that you're leading. Mm, take yeah. So you don't have to be arrogant. And you don't have to be super self-confident. You just have to believe in other people. Right. And have to convey to them that confidence that you have and again it doesn't mean you're smarter or stronger or more far-seeing you just have the role you know you put on the cloak today that said ceo or whatever it said yeah group leader and so you have to play that role you play that role at the end of the day you take it up
0: <laughs> it kind of ties back to what you said earlier about you know articulating yourself and why you're the role that you are and just making sure that people are confident not in your ability to be outspoken or whatever, but also the confidence that you articulate in your vision, your goals, and your team.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Another example. So I remember, again, Hydro. So I, I, I got the job as CEO, and first month, I'm doing employee visits. And so I'm in a, I think it was in Surrey, and there's a bunch of people there. And they're they're mainly these power line technicians, so typically big guys wearing these orange.
0: <laughs> orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So so I, I talked a few minutes about the company and then questions and then the first question, second question was, what makes you think you're qualified to be CEO of this company? Mm. Um, you know, and so and of course people laughed and I answered and gave a kind of a waffly answer. And the guy said, no, no, but really, like, what do you know about this? And so I mean, yeah, it was, so it was a great question. Yeah. And um, what I basically said was, look, it's a it's a leadership role. I'll be back in a year. You know, ask me the question then if you want. So then he said, look, I've been here 25, 30 years. I've seen 10 of you. Like, I've seen 10 CEOs. Why should I care what you say? So, again, you know, you can judge me when you've seen what I can do. So the point I'd make about that is I wasn't bothered by that. Like, it was kind of challenging, but yeah, fair, fair questions. But I wasn't going to say, look, because I'm better than you or because I'm smarter than you.
0: Yeah,
1: guy could do his job better than I could do this job. but But I had my job. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How, how do you think they felt afterwards?
1: Oh, I think it was fine. Again, it doesn't, doesn't mean you, you've won people over, but it means that uh, it's a good start. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Uh, there was a, a woman that I worked with there who was in charge of about 300 of these individuals, and she clearly didn't fit the traditional mold. Uh, you know, she was actually had been in an internal audit, um, and then she moved into operational role. And the first day she moved into this role, uh, there was some industrial action. Like the union, you know, like a bunch of guys said, Look, we're, we're, you know, we're out of here. We're going to have a sharp strike. Interesting. Yeah. And it was frankly, I, m- I remember talking to the, it was clearly just a, a challenge, right? Yeah. And she was fine because she, she kind of knew that what they we were doing, she was like strong enough to be able to just deal with it without yelling or raising her voice. So mm. it was just a, people do that sometimes with leaders. They want to know, you know, they, they've heard about you, they've read about you, but they want to know what you will actually do. And they want to mm. kind of see you under pressure so they put you under pressure (laughs) in an organization like that where people are pretty self-confident yeah so
0: yeah I think that ties into my next question so it seems like the key theme here is you know empathy and understanding and listening right and do you think those are strengths that you bring as an introverted leader or what other strengths do you think uh, you bring as someone who is more introverted as a leader to the organization
1: well, first of all, I think your premise is the import- the importance of empathy. I agree with that. You've also got to make decisions, right? You've got to be clear and make decisions. So it's it's a bit of both. Knowing what your role is to make certain decisions and make them at the right time, but also understanding others, because that will help you make the right ones. and will help you make them in the right way. I think the empathy part does. I think introversion does help a bit. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 same. <laughs>
1: It isn't that extroverted people are running around not thinking about themselves, but I think I think introverts certainly have no excuse for not being self-aware. Because if you're sitting at home reading books, you've got time to think about you know who you are and where you could do better. I, but again, extrovert or introvert, I think everybody needs to think about empathy and the need for it and to try and understand others. I mean, the other part of it is. Is reflection. I think doesn't mm, yeah. reflection. It might well do, but being reflective, in my mind, has helped me to think about think through issues probably more clearly. I probably gravitate towards situations, organizations where there's a fair amount of complexity, and where there's an advantage to being reflective. People that are not reflective should gravitate to work roles that aren't like that. Mm-hmm. So that's how I see it.
0: So maybe we shouldn't talk about extroversion or introversion in leadership, but more about you know, how you lead, right? I, I think
1: so, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think the one thing, though, I'd say, Nick, is if people are introverted and quiet and worry about that and think I couldn't be a leader, that's definitely not true.
0: Right. You are an example of that in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I was going to ask is, you know, values seems to be a very important part in your life and also in how you lead. How have your values shaped your leadership style or guided you during difficult decisions? Sure.
1: So, and remember that I have my values and you have yours, and often an organization has its own. Yeah. And they may be different, but but, but I, I start with a view that most of the time, the values that we aspire to have are similar. So, for example, one that you often see is something along the lines of integrity, and that, I think, probably involves being honest. I think, yeah. I think it falls more, though. I think integrity, you know, the origin of the word means hope, right? Yeah. I think it's probably about being your whole self, being not being different when you're at work versus at home or in the community. Yeah. And so that, that value is one that I've always had. And so, for example, you remember in the class, we talked about diversity and inclusion quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And core beliefs is that, of course, in, in any situation, you want everybody to be able to feel that they can be who they are. And if if they can be who they are, their best, well, then we can all do better as a team and as an organization or as a company or as a family or as as a soccer team or whatever it is you're you're part of. So that leads to a whole raft of things that we have to think about in terms of, okay, who's at the table here? And how do we make sure that if you're at the table and I'm at the table, we listen to each other? Mm -hmm. Because if you have to feel like you have to be like me, you're not going to be as effective or vice versa. So so that's one value that I that, that I think I've had since I was a kid, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, then, and then if you think about that, what that gets you to is you're thinking about people, and you're thinking about people being themselves. And again, I'm not thinking about the values of the company as much as your values and my values, because mm-hmm. I think as long as you can be yourself at your best, the values of the company will be fine. So then, for example, um, you're working on a budget, and you know you have to cut your budget. A lot of companies going through that right now. Covid. Yeah. How do you do that? And I remember again an example of with an executive team. I remember what we we were having problems because because we had we didn't we wanted to make cuts, so we didn't know how to do it. And eventually, I remember asking everybody to go around the table and talk about times in their in their life or their family's life when they were short of money. What did you do? Everybody had examples. Sometimes it was then their parents, their grandparents. And in every example, what the family had done is made a principal decision, and they communicated well with each other. And in my case, I can remember my parents saying, look, we're short of money at this point, and we're not going on holiday. But in terms of anything to do with school, we're good. So that was a clear statement. Education is more important than pleasure. Okay, that that was a values-based decision. Mm. Whereas what a lot of organizations do is say, everybody cut 5%, right? Which is a top-down, mechanical, arithmetical approach. It's not yeah, that easy. And, and think about it. When you're increasing budgets, you never do that. You never say, "Let's give everybody five percent." You say, "We're going to spend a you know, million dollars on this piece of software or this capital thing or yeah. product." Yeah. When you're coming down, you tend you tend to not make values based decisions because you want to avoid making a decision and you want to make other people make it. <laughs> so that would be another. You know. So that would be another. Another example. And then the safety one we talked about earlier, where yeah. very quickly come to a conclusion. If you're talking about safety, it can't be about money. There is no trade-off between safety and money. So design everything safe in the first place, and you'll do just fine. So those are all examples of, I think, seeing leadership through a values-based lens. It doesn't mean that any leader, me or anybody else, is perfect. Yeah. The way you treat people, right? I remember thinking early on, First time that I ever had to fire somebody. Oh, yeah, that's hard. Very well, right? Didn't go well. And I remember thinking afterwards, if that individual had had their son or daughter in the room, how would I have done it differently?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, Would I have done it? I think so. But would I have done it differently? Yes. And so when you're mad and you're critical and you're you're losing it, imagine a a little kid in the room. (sighs) Yeah. It could be your kid or it could be their kid or their brother, or their sister, or whatever. How would you do it? So, so to me, values, you know, values-based values leadership has got a lot to do with understanding who we are as people, understanding mm-hmm. who you are as people, and behaving as we wish we would behave to each other, if that makes sense.
0: That's kind of like what I wanted to do with my podcast as well. Like, Can we talk as people yeah. uh, to one another rather than just title to title, right? And just bring that human element. But yeah, well, well also, a lot to process.
1: Yeah, but also, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I got a wife and two kids, and so the number of times I would come home and maybe forget who I really am, mm. and I forget from either my wife or one of my kids, "You're not the CEO here," you know, like you know, you know, you're at home now. So come talk about this differently? And it's not that I would kind of go in and say I run the place. <laughs> Sometimes you feel if you're doing a leadership role, you think that you're under a lot of pressure, and you think that you know, you should get special consideration and blah, yeah. blah, and You're tired and so on. And, you know, no. You know, hopefully, you're in a family situation where people bring you back to work. That's good. That's good to hear.
0: But, yeah, I really connected with the point where you mentioned, like, you know, when things are going well, you know, there's specific things that you want to be known for, like, putting $1 million into this program or that program. Yeah. But when it's the other way around, you want to avoid as many bad Uh, situations as possible. So you try to cut everything by five percent, like you said, but then that's not really values based where it comes to connecting with everyone in the table and saying, you know, what are our priorities? What's important to us, right? I think that helps you articulate why you made certain cuts. I think people can understand it more, right?
1: I think so. I mean I mean the other thing of course is what you could do is say to people, look, we need to we need to get to a certain place here with, with costs. Can, can you, you group over there? Can you go away and think about it and tell us how you would do it? What, one way that can work, actually, is, again, with, 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 when you have to cut costs, and that involves people, is that sometimes organizations will just go through a list and they'll say, okay, these people are gone. Some good organizations, I think, will say to a group of people, is there any way we can do this? And they might say, yeah, actually, we think you really need to protect those three people. So, for example, we can, we can all take a 30% cut over the summer. Um, those people, those three people, they can't like because of their personal circumstances. Mm. We, we think that we, you know, we're willing to, to you know, drop our hours and drop our salary for three months and let them work full time. And everybody feels that's a good decision. And maybe that isn't the
0: perfect,
1: optimal business decision, but it probably really is because of what it does to motivation. So that's a very much 5% thing is you don't say, um, everybody take this cut. You say, look, can you work with us? This is a situation we're in. Honestly, you think of a way of, of solving it. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Th- the are different ways of looking at it.
0: Yeah. Well, in that sense, you know, people are involved in your decision-making in a way because they can choose. They know best who in their team might need that support and they are willing to support them. So maybe that makes it a little bit more personal to them.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, so when you, Get a leadership role. Often the question, okay, what's your vision, right? So I remember in the hydro example again. I remember going around the province, like I said, first month or so, six weeks, and it was it was hard at times because um, they hadn't had a pay increase for three years. You know, they were quite, there quite a lot of grumpiness, and at a certain point, I remember one day I felt quite tired, like I'd had three of these meetings in one day, and the, and the last one had not gone well, and. I remember thinking I need to change this. So I I started doing a different thing, and I started asking people instead of making a speech, I started asking them a question: "What's important to you?" And they kind of look at you and they say, "What do you mean?" You know. And I said, "Well, like anything, what's important to you?" And of course, it would not be anything to do with electricity. It would be, it would be something about their family or their children or community, their little league team, the environment. And it tweaked after a while should maybe it was obvious, it was all about the long-term.
0: Mm.
1: And when I thought about it, yeah, these are people that are, wherever they go, um, they're, you know, they're in different parts of the province, they're, they're good jobs, right? And they're building communities. Yeah. We ended up with a tagline for the company, you know, BC Hydro for generations, which is, of course, a- uh, <laughs> it made us look at our short-term performance measures, and we actually asked ourselves the question, if we did really well at these short-term performance measures, could we hurt the company? And the answer was yes, because we could neglect these long-term things. So it changed the way we saw, I think, our priorities. And it meant that we focused more on probably medium-to-longer-term priorities more than we were going to. But but a key point is that vision, that tagline, did not come from me at all. I happened to like it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, at least I know how that <laughs> tagline came to be. You're no longer the CEO of BC Hydro, you moved on since then. But one thing you're doing now is teaching for the course COM483, which is a leadership course at Solder. I guess my first question is the obvious one, like, what was going through your head when you're thinking about, you know, what you envisioned for the class?
1: Yeah. So, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, like coaching soccer was something mm-hmm. like that, and life, spending time with younger people. I think the reason is that if you did nothing, like if you coached soccer and did nothing, they would improve. So right. and it's the same with a class. <laughs> so it's great because you're gonna you're gonna win if you did nothing. And so whatever you can do to, to do better is great. Uh <laughs> sometimes in business context, it's yeah. feel like hard, right? Like these people are not gonna change their opinions. Whereas with students you're learning so quickly. Uh, and it's fun to see that. So that was where I did it, because I sampled it. Really enjoyed it. That's good.
0: And you've stuck with it for like yeah. many years, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, we don't have the class this year, but hopefully the class resumes uh, once the COVID situation is done.
1: Resumes, that's a play on word. That's, that's <laughs>
0: what you did there. <laughs> you talked a little bit about what you envisioned for the class, like you being there and having the students learn from each other that they can improve in some way. And I think being in the class you know, the first time and also being a TA for it, that seems to be the theme, like the students are at the center of the class. They discuss the issues and topics and you're just there to facilitate and maybe add a few things at the end about your own experiences and your own thoughts on the idea. How do you think that came about?
1: Well, I think, I think that is how most university learning should be. I mean, it's funny, like I have mentioned now a few times, I coached soccer for 25 years. It took me a while, I think, to realize I could be a lot more effective if the players have more autonomy. Of course, there's things that they can have autonomy on, like you know, picking the team. They don't get to do that. But in terms of a lot of other things, if you give them more influence, you'll you get a better result. So I think I know that. Of course, there's always a temptation when you're standing in front of a class. There's a dynamic there, right? You're standing, everybody else is sitting. Yeah. They're facing you. There's a tendency to think you're kind of all that that, you know, you know more than they do. But again, it goes back to a role. You have a role. And I think the key, you use the word facilitation. I think that's key. In other words, if all I did was talk, I don't think people would learn very much. There's a few things that I think are absolutely vital. In other words, things that I strongly believe that, of course, I push. But if during the discussion, you collectively don't agree, then I'm really intrigued by that. And I've learned over the years and even discussed something and you suddenly think, yeah, I never thought of that. A good example is um, a leadership case that we do. I, I won't mention it. <laughs> and, and it's one where you know, the question is, did this individual, it happens a lot with leadership cases, did this individual, could they have done better? Uh, what could they have done? And, and one of the questions was, well, could they have looked at their mental health? You know, is, is the question of their mental health something we should talk about? And that was a new comment that I've not heard before. And the person that wrote the case from Harvard certainly never thought of that. But actually, I think it's something we're learning, that the way we treat people sometimes in organizations, it is creating mental health issues. And we should be thinking about that. It goes back to the safety question earlier, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So thinking of yourself as facilitating is good, because I'm not thinking that's the wrong answer. I'm thinking, oh, that's how we learn, right?
0: It's funny because, like, for me, and also I think from seeing the students, a lot of them in the first class, they're waiting for you to, you know, preach or say oh, something okay. to them that will inspire them to, like, be leaders, right? But then there's not always the right answer that you're trying to portray here.
1: Well, and yes, and also, of course, we have a lot of discussions about topics that where there is no right answer, you know, whether it's Black Lives Matter or, you know, the, the need for diversity and inclusion or, you know, the question of whether driverless cars are a good thing or a bad thing. There's just there's so many things we talk about. Yeah. Funny, as we're just talking then, so there was a soccer practice that I was in years ago, and I remember asking a question of a team, and there was a bit of a reaction, right? They were kind of not very happy. And I said, look, I was just asking. And one of the girls, probably about 13, said, you never just ask.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. And I, there was this long silence. It was kind of, people nodding. I remember going home and discussing that with my wife, and yeah, I got kind of feedback. That's true, and so sometimes I think um, I really like to be Socrates. You know, he like he he went he sat around in this kind of Greek marketplace, basically went around asking people questions. And to be honest, when you read his stuff, he always knew mm-hmm. the answer he was he was aiming at. He was driving people towards a particular place, right? And he got put to death in the end, right? Because he really. Uh, <laughs> and So I think. Over the years, I've kind of realized that is a tendency that I have, and that it may look like facilitation, but if I'm not careful, I'm pushing the group too much. And I think, again, Mm -hmm. at my best, I don't do that. I actually think with online learning and with with COVID, we're all going to have to learn the need to have students take more autonomy in in the class. I think, and I hope, that will lead to even more genuine facilitation. Mm -hmm. And I think I certainly can learn a lot. I will have to do that better.
0: Yeah. All right. There are many key themes in your life that you also bring into the class, right? Whether it's the concept of diversity and also things like thinking about the future, listening, feedback. How do you think that translated to how the class is run?
1: It's a good question. And it's interesting because you wonder if it was a different teacher, would it be a different set of things? And would it be Mm -hmm. better or worse or just different? And so... In my case, yeah, some of these things are things that so for, I mentioned the diversity and inclusion thing earlier. It has to do, I think it has to do with values. It probably also has to do with background, like with the, with the gender thing. University was all all male college. You know, high school was an all male high school. When I first joined WC, there was one woman who joined the same time as I did, and she was the first oh. ever professional uh, woman in the office. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of seen a lot, I've seen change, obviously. And I think we're so much better now yeah. than we were then. Interesting yeah. things like Black Lives Matter, I've been learning a lot about mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously diversity and inclusion goes beyond gender, well beyond gender. Yeah. So that's one example of a framing. And frankly, when I look at the class you know, every year, of course, I'm looking at a very diverse group. And I like that. And I think it's great. And all of you are going to have to figure out ways of working with a lot of other different people. So that's one i think the framing like trying to understand what's happening in different countries um, understanding you know different stories you know how does a an entrepreneurial business person develop a company in china versus one in the us it's, right and i think a lot of really good leaders whether it's corporate or in government or anything they understand context hmm. when we make a decision it isn't always the the decision you think you're making, in other words, should we make this capital investment today? Often you have to look, look wider. You know, a good example might be climate. Does climate affect my business today? Climate change? Uh, will it affect it in five years? 10 years? Mm-hmm. And, and you start thinking differently, maybe, about business problems. So a lot of what I hope to bring is when somebody brings me a something they want to have approved, this is in a corporate setting, they'll often say, this has to be approved today. And I'll say, really? <laughs> then we'll start talking about, do we have the right question? Right. And sometimes I'm too reflective, I get that, and you can see people rolling their eyes, but surprisingly often, actually, yeah, there is a different question we have to answer. Right. Yeah? So I think with the class, that learning how to frame decisions is something that we can really work on.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So those are two examples, I think, the things that, that I've brought to it.
0: <laughs> so I just wanted to hear your perspective, like, Since you've taught the class for many years now, how do you think the class or the cohorts of students evolved or changed in terms of, you know, maybe the things they talk about or just the way they are since you started teaching it? And how do you think that reflects, you know, the changing environment outside?
1: That's a good question. I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell because, of course, it's a gradual thing, right? It's like the the boiling, the water that's boiling the frog that, you know, (laughs) you don't realize. Yeah, yeah. So one one change that I've seen that I've mentioned to each classic thing is a, a diminishing interest in financial analysis and in financial acumen. And I, I emphasize the word interest, that it's harder and harder, either because I'm not doing it as well <clears> or because people are just not as interested. And I'm not sure. Um, superficially, it feels like a problem. But You know, it might be that just as we've got, we don't read maps anymore, right? We just Google Maps or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like even I, like I pride myself on going to a new city and figuring out the landscape and not using you know not using Google Maps, but even I have got lazy and I just plug it in now and just. <laughs> so is financial analysis going the same way, where actually you don't need to, you just have to you know, use use your machine. So that's one one change. I still think that being able to do mental arithmetic is a valuable skill regardless of whether you're an accountant or whatever you are. I think it's a viable skill in business and in organizations. Number two, I I, I think on the value side, I think it's getting better. Um, I think it was always good, to be honest, with this class, possibly because of the application process. Right. But I think that there's more and more interest in doing the right thing because it's the right thing, and that's great. So that's that's a really positive thing. On technology, predictably, there's just more comfort. So with driverless cars, I think the first year or two, well I'm not even sure it was a thing. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of concerns about things like driverless cars. Right. And I think it's, as times have gone on, it's more about, well, when, you know, like, what's holding you guys up, you know? Yeah. But the, so technology, generally, technology adoption is just something that people are more comfortable with interesting to see what COVID has done
0: to that <laughs> <laughs> accelerated it, right?
1: Yeah. But also I wonder whether we're more cautious. I wonder whether there is some kind of little bit of a of a hesitation that people have to speak their minds. Uh, I think you've got to work harder to get people to be controversial in the class. Right. Yeah. And that could be again it could be the application process. You know, that that that's accepting more people that are more want to be more collaborative. But there's something missing I think. And and I've heard, obviously I've read, that there's a sense that that's happening generally on campuses. Okay. You know, possibly because of the social media reactions to things that people say. It's interesting, as a teacher, um, you know, you go, I I look at webinars, for example, Harvard webinars on teaching online. One interesting question is, you know, do you record the class? And if you record the class, does that mean that people will be, including teachers, will be less frank? Right. Because they're afraid of, you know, people are afraid of something being put on social media. So so how can we have honest, clear conversations, respectful conversations about controversial topics? Uh, I mean, I hope we can, but I I think that's something to think about. As a teacher, I'm thinking, yeah, I need to get more skilled at that because I don't want to lose that part of the class.
0: Yeah, for sure. 'Cause I think people don't want to say the wrong things or hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah. Like we talk about political correctness and those things in the class yeah. as well, right? And maybe that's just something like over the years, that's something that we just start thinking more of. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's hard, right? Because what I always worry about is if you can't even discuss it. You can't even ask a question. Right. Now and I understand. So for example, the question, do all lives matter, is that a controversial question? It actually is, I think. For me to ask it because personal view is because I believe the term black lives matter does not imply that others don't Right. it implies that for years black lives did not matter as much as people in the US but also in other countries so I'll be an example but but are we allowed to question things like that and, and have a discussion about them and if we're not allowed to have a discussion about them we end up in our echo chambers reading our Facebook or whatever our Instagram feeds (laughs) <laughs> and this class yeah. is so you know, fun if people don't express, you know, different views. Well, it is fun, but it, it's more fun if they express different views. Yeah, for sure. So that's the, I think that's been a trend. And I, and I don't think it's just because I've read that it's a trend. I think I've actually seen it. I think I'm yeah. feeling, yeah, it's just a bit more hesitation.
0: That's interesting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So you say the ideal situation is one where, you know, you learn just as much from the class as we learn from you. So what have been the biggest takeaways that you've gained from students uh, in your class?
1: Thank you. That's a great question. You know, one of them is courage. And I think it's not always in the class. It's the continuum of, you know, what you learn about them before they join and what what people share in the class, like in that icebreaker exercise that we had. Oh, right. Yeah. But then it's also, you know, the courage that I see from many students or as they, ex-students, as they get into the workforce. And do amazing, you know, amazing things. And I don't mean by that, you know, amazing things as in high school reunion where I'm more amazing than you are. I, I just mean, <laughs> working with tough stuff sometimes. Yeah. Difficult circumstances, and and having the courage to try new things. When I look back on my career, I, mean, I was pretty conservative. Like I, I, I went to university. I joined a CA firm. You know, nothing wrong with that. You know, I never really had real struggles. I didn't have fears of unemployment, really. You know, I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't have a reason to doubt myself, really. I don't think. Right. Probably that's privilege, of course, you know, white male privilege and all that. But no, this so courage um, in many different forms. Vulnerability goes to the courage, I think. I'm just so proud of the way that so many students in the class before, during, and after are able to be vulnerable to each other. And yeah. So those those are those are two probably big ones. And then the third one is. You know we always say this is not a competitive situation yeah um i I'm amazed at how students are able to collaborate and and support each other and you know question each other vigorously again, maybe the next version of the class we need to work on finding a way of being more controversial, but fundamentally i I believe I see a group of people that are that care about each other yeah, for sure so that's a big that's a big thing right? that I, I learn the most.
0: That's awesome. I guess my very final question now to you is like what are some things or advice that you want to give to students who aspire to be you know future leaders
1: yeah i think i mean learning a lot so it's more important to learn a lot than it is to obsess about the next job or the current situation you're in or you know what you get paid or whatever so it's more important to learn a lot and and learning means being open it means accepting that you can learn in any situation so so i know right you know, those jobs are not as much fun as they thought they would be You know, because they can't meet their coworkers or whatever. You know, or they're doing schooling and it's online. It's maybe not quite what they're looking for, but you can still learn more than you think you can learn. I think. Yeah, for sure. I think I've always known that. I don't know why, but but I think I always have. So so the ability to learn is one part of that is learning about other people. A large part of that, like as long as you're with other people physically or online, you can learn a lot about them from them or them. So that, and again, remembering that as a leader, it's not about what you do, it's about what they do. Right. So focus on that. And then the third one we talked about earlier, it's understanding your story, understanding what you're good at, and understanding if you weren't on Earth, what difference would it make? So if you're in a group or a team or a situation, because Nick was there, this is what happened. So we did <laughs> good work. And this is how I contributed to that. So that's, call it soft skills if you want. But yeah. Whatever good things have happened as a result of you being around, how do you actually make that happen? Because a lot of people don't even understand that. They don't understand their own value. Mm. And they therefore can't express it. So those are kind of three things I've mentioned. I talked about it earlier. You have to get results, right? Yeah. This question of recognizing, you know, I'm part of this company. I may not have the biggest influence on this company, but this company has done great things. This is what this company's done while I was here. This is my contribution to it. You know, can I make a bigger contribution to it? Mm. Or am I spending my time worrying about status or Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Bob, for you know, taking the time out of your day to kind of, you know, chat with me about your leadership journey and your perspectives on things like values based leadership. The key thing that I've continued to learn from you is, you know, the importance of understanding your own values and how you can bring that to the decisions you make in life in you know the companies you work for um, as a leader, but also articulating those values to others so that they understand what the priorities are and how their priorities might be the same or different than yours, and how we can open up a conversation about that if they're different.
1: That's great, no. Thank you, Nick. That's that's uh, like I'm, I'm humbled that you said that, and I to you and to everyone that's going to uh, listen to this. I wish everybody. Uh, I don't know whether luck's the right word. I wish success <laughs> and good luck and that everybody's staying healthy over the next few months
0: awesome you too yeah thank you again and see you next time on it's time for recess